Well, good morning, friends, family, all who are watching live with us today. My name is Michael Johnson, and I serve on staff with Campus Outreach here at Arkansas State. Uh, I have been here in Jonesboro for five years, been a member of Fellowship Jonesboro since the spring of 2015, moved over here from Memphis, and I have the great privilege of sharing God's word with us this morning. Before I jump in, I want to give two quick shout outs. First, I want to shout out to my grandmother, Nana. Uh, Nana, I know you are in the hospital right now in Memphis battling cancer. Uh, Nana, I want you to know that you are my champion. Uh, I love you so much, and I'm so proud to be your grandson. Secondly, I want to shout out uh, the fellowship staff, the worship team, all who uh, have been serving us and loving us uh, over this pandemic. Uh, being in ministry, a pandemic is something that you don't plan for and anticipate, uh, but the way that this staff here at Fellowship Jonesboro has served us and loved us, the gospel community leaders, I just wanted to say thank you uh, on behalf of all of us this morning. Well, one of my favorite things to do growing up was to go to sporting events. Uh, in my lifetime, I've probably been to hundreds, whether that be college football games, shout out to my boys, college basketball games, Memphis Grizzlies games, or even NASCAR races. Yes, I've been to a few of those with my dad when I was younger. There's nothing like going to a game. And, and one thing that I know to be true is this, is that your uh, experience, your uh, expectation, your involvement, and even your excitement to go to the game is completely dependent upon your view. That's why when you get tickets to a game or tickets to a concert, what's the, one of the first things that you do? You look for your seat and you wonder what your view is going to be like. Well, if you're like me, I've had many nosebleeds in my life. Uh, and no, I'm not talking about my actual nose. I'm talking about the seats that I would sit in during these games. I would sit in what you would, you would call the upper bowl. Uh, I would have amazing uh, seats for my back, which would so happen to be the concrete of the, the stadium or the arena. Maybe it looked a little something like this. Maybe, maybe you've been this guy before who's sitting all the way up at the top. And if you're honest, you're, his view is really terrible. All the players that are on the field or on the court, they look like little ants running around. You, you can't even read the scoreboard. You don't even know who's winning. The majority of the time, you're not even paying attention. You're, you're scrolling through your phone, and even though you don't have Wi-Fi, and you're frustrated, and you're, you're thinking about what you're going to eat for dinner if you want to buy the $15 nachos or thinking about the traffic after the game. You're not excited about the game whatsoever. All you really want to kind of do is leave. Well, what do you need? You need a different view. Maybe like this guy. I'm not sure if you've ever sat this close in a game before, but this guy's view is pretty awesome. All the players around him, they are massive, they're huge, way bigger than you could ever have thought. And not only are you watching the game, you're in the game. You're literally standing on the court. You're, you're high-fiving your friends when they uh, do a slam dunk, and you're, you're punching players like this guy is with Steph Curry. Well, friends, I, I think this is a lot like our relationship with God. You see, if, if we have a bad or, or a skewed, foggy, or even a small view of who God is, more than likely, we're going to be a, a joyless people. We're going to be a, a prayerless people. We're going to be hopeless, disinterested, and even pessimistic in our relationship with God. On the flip side, if, if we had a good, a, a correct, or even a big view of who God is, more than likely, we're going to be a joyful people. We're going to be prayerful, involved, con contagious, and even expectant in our relationship with him. And as I describe these this morning, which one would you say best describes you? 
Which end would you fall on? And wherever you are at this morning, I've got good news. God is inviting you to come and to take a front row seat to see him this morning for who he really is. And my main point this morning as we sung is God is bigger than you think. So if you've got your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. We are continuing our series on doxology, learning how to live a life of worship. And I really do believe that you can only learn how to live a life of worship if you first have a correct understanding of the God in which you worship. And so wherever you may be this morning, I would encourage you to stand if you are able with me as we read God's word. We, God's word is powerful. We stand underneath God's word. And so we're going to be reading in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Y'all may be seated. Uh, Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. And God, I ask that you would meet us. Father, your word tells us that if we draw near to you, you will draw near to us. And so, God, we draw near now. Father, we pray that you would meet us. You You would meet me here in this church building. Father, that you would meet my friends and family in their living rooms, in their kitchens, in their bedrooms, on their back patios. Maybe meet them on their boat right now as they're on the lake for Memorial Day weekend. Father, meet us. And God, would you not only just meet us, would you speak to us? Would you reveal yourself to us so that we may understand who you are? Father, as I've been praying, God, would you strengthen our faith? And would you help us fall more in love with you this morning? We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. The book of Ephesians, it's an amazing book. Uh, The book of Ephesians has ministered to my soul in so many ways and in so many seasons. If you have not read the book of Ephesians before, I would highly encourage you to do so. It's it's only six chapters, and and Paul, the author, does a tremendous job kind of breaking it up into two different sections. Chapters one through three, Paul talks about kind of our theology of our identity in Christ, uh, all the privileges and blessings that we have inside the gospel of Jesus, such as being chosen before the foundation of the world. That in Christ we have been forgiven of all of our trespasses and sins. That we have been adopted and grafted into the family of God. We've got a new name. And not only that, we've been given an inheritance that is guarded by God. So he walks through that in the first couple chapters. And then chapters 4 through 6, Paul says, hey, now in light of your identity, in light of who you are in Christ, in light of all of these things, hey, this is how you should live your life. This is how you should orient your life around the gospel and our text this morning is literally found sandwiched in between these two sections. It's a beautiful doxology that reminds us of the God in which we serve. If you've heard me preach before, I love giving three points. And so uh, I'm going to give you three simple yet profound characteristics of God. And like I said, I prayed it would strengthen your faith and help you fall more in love with Him. So let's look at the text. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think. Point one, God is able. Turn to a friend or to a family member and say, God is able. 
That word able, according to Webster's Dictionary, means having the power, the skills, and the means to do something. Well, you see, God doesn't just have the power and the skills and the means to do something. God has the power, the skills, and the means to do far more abundantly than all we can ask, think, or imagine. F-M-A, far more abundantly. That, that phrase, far more abundantly, in the Greek is perisos, which means beyond measure, exceedingly great, super abundant. You can see the language used here. Well, what does this mean? I want you to write this down. There is no degree of difficulty for God. There is no degree of difficulty for God. A question that I think a lot of us, including myself, ask is, is God able? Have you asked that question here lately? Have you asked that question within the last couple months? God, are you able? God, are you able to provide for my family financially when it looks like there's no money coming in and I just got laid off from my job? God, are you, are you able to to watch over and to protect my children as they just graduated high school and are, are headed into college? God, are you able to, to, to keep my baby who's about to be born into this world healthy? God, are you able to heal and to redeem the broken marriage that I've been in for years? God, are you able to free me from the anxiety and depression that cripples me? God, are you able? Have any of you asked that question? I know that I have. If so, I like to take us uh, on a trip down memory lane. God created the heavens and the earth and everything in it simply by the sound of his voice. We have a God who opened up Sarah's womb at what age? 90. Can you imagine that? We have a God who, who freed millions of Israelites out of Egyptian slavery. And not only did he free them, he took them through the Red Sea that was 10,000 feet in depth. And he threw the waters up and he sustained them as his people went free. We have a God who literally made the, the sun stand still. I could go on and on and on this morning. And I, I know some of you may be thinking this. Well, I, I know God is able, but not for me. I, I know God is able to blank, but, but not for me. I want to clarify something really quickly. Although God is able, it doesn't mean he always will. And, and that's so hard to understand for us. It's so hard to grasp, and I don't have all the answers. That although he is able, it doesn't mean he always will. Look at the life of Job. Look, look at the life of Joseph. Look at the life of our Savior, Jesus. Friends, I want you to look at me. He may not take away your anxiety and depression this side of glory. Because, friends, we know that on the other side of glory, he's going to make all things new again. Praise be to God. But on this side, he may not take it away, but he is able to be with you in it today and tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day. Nana, he may not take away your cancer. This side of glory. There's coming a day where he's going to make you new again. And he's able to be with you today. And tomorrow. And the next day. And the next day. And give you his grace that is sufficient. You're a champion, Nana. And all of you who have cancer, God is with you. To my single friends, he may not give you a spouse. 
this side of heaven or glory because we know that on the other side, we're going to be married to him forever. Amen? But he's able to sustain you today and tomorrow and the next day and the next day, all the days of your life. There is no degree of difficulty for God. And to come back to the context, what I think Paul is saying here is that the, the biggest degree of difficulty one could ever face is to take a sinful, broken, and rebellious people and reconcile them to a perfect and holy and righteous God. That's the biggest chasm. That's the biggest degree of gift difficulty. And guess what? Our God brought them together. He brought us back to himself. And if he can do that, what can he not do? How much different would your walk with Jesus be if you were convinced without a shadow of a doubt that God was able to do far more abundantly than all you could ask or think. There's a book called Night of a Million Miracles. It's an amazing book. I literally finished it in a day and a half. It's a story of Project Pearl where 22 men smuggled one million Bibles into uh, the inland of China in one night. And there was one Chinese man who was imprisoned. His name was uh, Lao Zhou. He was arrested. And I, I just want you to hear this story. When they threw me into prison, I received watery soup without much nutrition. So one day, when talking to the Lord, I suggested that it would be nice to eat an egg. Four days later, though I had forgotten my prayer, I woke, and there in front of me on my floor was an egg. I picked it up to find that it was real, but I had no clue how it got there. I was so hungry, I quickly devoured it. After so many days of drinking watery soup, it tasted delicious. When I woke up the next morning, there was another egg on the floor. That night, I stayed awake to see who the heck was bringing me these eggs. About 3 o'clock in the morning, I heard a light scratching noise on the floor. I didn't move. A mouse was using his nose to push an egg through a small little hole in the wall and brought it to the same spot where he had left the others. He sniffed around, and then he left. This went on for many days. One autumn day, I was thinking it must be apple season outside. My mouth began to water just thinking about apples, so I prayed, Lord, if you can bring me eggs, bring me an apple. And God used a different mouse to bring me the sweetest apples every single day in the fall. And in the winter, a rat brought me sweet potatoes and nuts. God is faithful. If God can reconcile sinful, broken man and a perfect, holy, righteous God and save us and bring us into harmony with God, and he can take a rat and move an apple and eggs every single day to a jail cell of a man who asked for it, what can God not do? And I pray that this would strengthen your faith. God is able. Let's go back to the text. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. Not only is God able, God is powerful. To be honest, I, I think God's power is often like double uh, A batteries. They're always going out. If you've been around my house, the guys know this. We are always looking for double A batteries. Your family may be like that. We can't find them anywhere in the house. We swear we bought a thousand of them. Where are they? Church, God is nothing like double A batteries. Uh, in his book, Knowledge of the Holy, A.W. Tozer says this, talking about God's power. God at his command has all the power in the universe. The Lord God omnipotent can do anything as easy as anything else. All his acts are done without effort. He expands no energy that must be replenished. His self-sufficiency makes it unnecessary for him to look outside himself for a renewal of strength. 
All the power required to do all that he wills to do lies in undiminished fullness in his own infinite being. In other words, God is powerful. He just makes it sound better than me. And what completely blows my mind, literally, is that this same power lives inside of me. And he lives inside of you. And to all of those who have placed their faith in Christ, when God saved you, he gives you his Holy Spirit. And he gives you the same power that rose Christ Jesus from the dead inside of you. It blows my mind. I have no idea how it works, but it's true. And so I'm going to take it up here, and I'm going to bring it down and make it personal. Maybe there's a certain sin in your life that keeps eating your lunch, and the enemy has convinced you that you will never see victory. That's not what my God says. My God says that he has broken every chain in my life. He has freed me from the bondage of sin. He has given me the Holy Spirit, and I have the power to say no to sin. Some of you need to be reminded of that this morning. Maybe there's some of you whose whose prayer life has become dull, and the enemy has convinced you that your prayers are ineffective. It's not what my God says. My God says that my prayers go directly to the throne room of God and he hears them and he has the power to answer every single one of them if he so so wills. Maybe there are some of you this morning who have shared the gospel with a friend or a loved one for years and the enemy has convinced you that they are just too far gone. Once again, that's not what my God says. My God says that he has given me the Holy Spirit And that I have the power through the Holy Spirit to penetrate the hardest of hearts. That he can bring someone from death to life. There's another book that I would recommend called Standing in the Fire. It's written by Tom Doyle. And in this book, he shares stories of courageous Christians living in the Middle East. There's a pastor. This is a true story living today. Right now, there's a pastor named Pastor Fareed. He's living in Syria. At one point in his life, Pastor Fareed uh, received over 30 death threats. And he would know that he had death threats because they would literally spray paint it on the outside of his house and number them, such as, this is how we're going to kill you. This is how we're going to kill your family. This is how we're going to kill your children. This is when we're going to do it. 30 of them on the outside of his house. And there's one man in particular who's a part of Al-Qaeda. His name was Rashid. Rashid would text Pastor Fareed every day and email him every day and make phone calls to him every day and spray paint on his, on his house every day these threats. And one of Pastor Fareed's friends says, hey, bud, why don't you delete his number? Why don't you block his number? He said, well, it's just a reminder that every time he gives me a death threat, I can pray for him because I'm convinced that there's nobody else in the world praying for Rashid. God put it on Pastor Fareed's heart to go to this man's house. Can you imagine? And give him a Bible. In this culture, you've got to re- receive the gift. It's, you, you can't not accept it. And so he walks to this house. You can imagine the scene. Uh, uh, Rashid opens up the door and he gives him a Bible. And he, he takes it with, with two fingers in disgust. And he throws it away. And Pastor Fareed leaves. A few weeks later, uh, Rashid is found in a bombing raid. And he's reading the Quran. And he, t- and he comes to his senses and says, hey, this Quran is not giving me any comfort. So he looks to the floor and he sees this Bible that Pastor Fareed gives him. He picks it up and at 7 p.m. he begins reading. He looks up and it's 6 a.m. and he is still reading. He's falling in love with Jesus. 
A few weeks later, Pastor Fareed, as he continues to get death threats, goes back to Rashid's house, falls in the middle of his den, execution cell, says, I'm ready to die. I'm tired of it. I'm ready to die for Jesus in my life like you had promised. A few moments of silence as Rashid bends down, lifts up Pastor Fareed's face, and says, how could I do that to a brother in Christ? And they begin to weep. Rashid placed his faith in Jesus, and what is amazing is that Rashid who once was writing death threats, is now writing worship lyrics for Pastor Fareed's church and surrounding churches right now in Syria. God is powerful. How different would your walk with Jesus be if you were convinced that God was able to do far more abundantly than all you can ask or think? How different would your walk with Jesus be if you were to fully believe and be convinced that God was powerful to do anything that he had wanted? Not only is God able, not only is God powerful, lastly, God is working. Let's look at verse 21. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Paul wraps up this section of Scripture, and he wraps up this doxology with with one resounding phrase. To God be the glory. To God be the glory in this church throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. If If you read throughout the Psalms, and Psalm 115 specifically, the psalmist begins it with, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. Is that your heartbeat? To God be the glory. Friends, God is working in this church of Fellowship Jonesboro. God is working in our city of Jonesboro, Arkansas. God is working on the college campus. This past year alone, we were able to see 23 college students enter into a relationship with Jesus. And one of my closest friends and disciples, uh, Tyler Mobley, who just graduated and is a member of this church, is getting ready to be in the process to move to Athens, Greece for two years to advance to the gospel of Jesus Christ. God is working in the United States of America. God is working in the nations. And what's amazing is that God, who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, God, who is all-powerful and is by the Spirit gives us his power, is inviting you and I today to be a part of what he is doing and advancing his name and his glory to the ends of the earth. I don't know about you, but I'm getting jacked up. God is inviting us into something way bigger than we could ever imagine. I want you to dream with me for just a moment. What would our lives look like if we viewed God in the right way? What would your family look like? What would your neighborhood look like? What would this church look like? What would our city look like? What would this country and the nations look like if all Christians had a right view of who God was and responded and acted accordingly? That is my prayer for all of us. I want to close with three practical ways to grow our view of God. First, we must repent. Repent, it is a military term. It means a 180-degree turn. Turn away from something and turn to something. We, we, we must repent of having a small view of God. 
We must, we must repent and ask for forgiveness of putting God in a box. We often put God in these little boxes and, and limit his abilities. We must repent and turn from those, recognize when we do, and lay hold of truth. Find some scriptures. The Psalms are great that talk about the character of God. Memorize one, lay hold of it, and hang on to it till you believe it in your heart to be true. We must be a people who repent of our small and wrong and skewed view of God and believe what is true. Secondly, we must revere. Jeremiah 32, 17 says, Ah, Lord God, it is you who made the heavens and the earth. By your great power and by your outstretched arm, nothing is too hard for you. Two weeks ago, I was in Destin, and it was at nighttime, and I'm sitting on the beach. It was beautiful. And I couldn't help but be in awe as I looked up and I see all of the stars that God has spoken into be, and he's holding them still. Couldn't help but be in awe as I looked upon the ocean, and I, and I remember the, the verse in Isaiah that says, he, he measured the waters in the hollows of his hand. I was captivated by the bigness of God, and, and Jeremiah makes it easy for us. He says, hey, look up. If you have a small view of God, look up. Look around. See all that God has done, all that he is, all of his creation. We must revere and sit there until you are captivated by the bigness of God. We must repent. We must revere. Lastly, we must remember. Ephesians 2, 12-13. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. There was once a time in our lives when we were enemies of the Lord. We were without hope. Instead of following God, we were following the world. We were doing what we wanted to do, and we were deserving of wrath. But instead of giving us wrath, God gave us his grace, and he saved us, and he brought us into his family. He changed our names. He, he completely blotted out our sin record, and he gave us a new one, a righteous record, and he called us his own. Remember the gospel. Some of you here this morning may still be in that point. Some of you may be still enemies of the cross. Some of you may be without hope. I want to remind you this morning of the gospel. Christ came into the world to save sinners. And he wants a relationship with you. And all you've got to do is place your faith in him and believe and to surrender. And he says that when you do that, he, he puts his Holy Spirit inside you. He saves you. He gives you a new heart. He changes your identity. And you're his. Call upon him this morning. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We must remember the gospel that I was once lost, but now I am saved. I pray this morning that your faith has been strengthened. And I pray that as we look at a correct view of God, you couldn't help but just fall more in love with him. So if you've got any questions, I would love for you to personally reach out to me. Uh, reach out on this Facebook group to Fellowship Jonesboro. I'd, I'd love to talk with you. One of our pastors would love to talk with you. Friends, I love you, but God loves you way more. Let us pray. Father, would you help us? Would you give us a right view of who you are?
Father, help us repent when we put you in a box. Father, would you help us revere you, hold you in reverence as we see your bigness, your beauty, your majesty, your glory. And God, let us remember the gospel that we were once lost, but now we are saved. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.